there's a doctor who did some research on the issue of hurry in people's lives, and she came up with this term called hurry sickness. And hurry sickness is, as she says, above all, a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined, from other persons. Hurry sickness. Some of you are hurry sick. You know what a hurried life looks like? A hurried life feels like the accelerator is stuck and it's just impossible to throttle down. It results in chronic anxiety and restlessness. It's as if you're always on edge. There's a story that comes out of the mid-1950s, the mid-20th century. Friedman and Rosamond were doctors, and they had a successful cardiology practice. But in their cardiology practice, they were having an unexpected problem. They were spending a fortune having to reupholster the chairs in their waiting rooms. And so they would have to call this person to come in and to fix the upholstery on their chairs over and over and over. And eventually what they noticed about these chairs in this waiting room for these people that are going to see the heart doctor is that the front of the chair and the front of the arms of the chair continued to wear very rapidly. And so the what do you call the person that comes and does the upholstery? A what? Is, you know what it sounds like to me? Okay, so the, so the is the guy. <laughs> Sorry, I've been up late and gotten up early too, all weekend. Okay, so, uh, so the told the doctors, well, maybe the issue isn't with the chairs and the quality of the work. Maybe the issue is with the kind of people that are coming in your office. And he began to suggest that maybe, in fact, the reason these people are coming to see the heart doctor is because their lives are so frantic, they can't even sit in a chair still. And that was very much what happened. They realized and began to research this and think about this, that these people were having heart problems... And uh, because th- their hearts were so hurried, their lives were so hurried, they were so stressed that they were coming to the doctor to see the heart doctor trying to figure out what's going on, and they were rubbing the ends of the chair, and they were jittering around in the chair. A hurried life feels like you have the accelerator stuck, and it's just impossible to slow down. A, a hurried life also disables your ability to connect fully with others. Some of you wonder why you don't feel connected to your spouse. The reality is it's because your life is so hurried, it's impossible. Your heart's disabled, and it's impossible for you to connect with your spouse. So people get pushed aside or run over or left behind. And we lose the ability to simply be present with people. And just to kind of continue to paint the picture, a hurried life prevents us from noticing the little things. That if we were able to notice them would be a real joy. Some of you are so hurried in your lives that you are unable to notice the little ways in which God is working all around you. And you say, God, where are you? And God says, I'm right there. But you're so hurried and fretting. You're living such a fast-paced life that you're missing all of it. Albert Einstein says these words, He who can no longer pause to wonder and stand in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. 
Carl Jung said, hurry is not the devil, not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. So with that as the introduction, here's the main idea. And then we're going to look at the life of Jesus who was very much an unhurried man. To influence, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. To influence, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Jesus lived an unhurried life. And Jesus had a lot of responsibility. Some of you are saying, well, you don't know what it's like for me at work. Or you don't know what it's like for me with the kids. Or you don't know what it's like for me in my hobbies. And uh, that's true. But I know this. If anybody could justify living a hurried life, it was Jesus. But yet Jesus lived an unhurried life and it enabled him, as we'll see, to be used by God to impact someone's eternity. He had a lot of responsibility, a lot of opportunity. And we enter into this passage of Scripture. Uh, he was very popular. Lots of people wanted his attention and wanted his time. But we see repeatedly throughout the Bible that Jesus exemplified an unhurried life. You don't have to live a hurried life to get where God is taking you. You don't. So there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is with the woman at the well. Jesus is with the woman at the well. So John chapter 4, I hope you're there already. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, but I need to introduce it, and then I'm going to help you kind of know what's going on. There's so much going on here. So at, at this point in John's gospel, as I said, Jesus had become very popular. His movement was growing. He was went from being somebody that nobody knew to a, a rabbi that was very respected to a rabbi that some are saying might possibly be the Messiah. He's in the southern region. So if you think about the Middle East, uh, he's, in a, he's in a southern region called Judea, and he's on, on his way in this story to the northern region called Galilee. And one thing I want you to kind of keep in mind, and it'll come back up again later, is that Jesus is, has become flesh. His greatest purpose is to go to the cross to die for sin. That is in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. So he is in Judea at the time, uh, at the beginning here, but he's on his way to the northern region because God has something for him there, or the Father has something for him. So he's in the southern region, Judea. He's on his way to the northern region, Galilee. It was a common thing for Jews to travel this route, but in between Judea and Galilee was Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews did not like one another. It had to do with their ethnic origins. There was lots of conflict that had gone on for hundreds of years. And it was very tense. And so oftentimes the Jews would go around Samaria because they didn't even want to go through there because they didn't like them. And also it was quite dangerous. Uh, but on, as we pick up in this story, Jesus is with his disciples. He's traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee, he chooses to go through Samaria, and he makes his way to a place where he's going to get water. It's called Sychar, and he's going to drink from this well called Jacob's Well. At the time that he and his disciples arrive at the well, it's noon. It's a time of the day when really no one typically is at the well. Why? It's hot. When would be a better time to get water from the well? Either early in the morning or late in the evening, right? 
Well, Jesus is there just because of the timing of his travel. He gets there at noon with his disciples. He's at the well, and wouldn't you know it, a woman that is a Samaritan is coming to the well. Now, the fact that she is coming to the well at noon and not in the morning with many of the other women in the community says something about this kind of woman. She is socially an outcast, and we'll find out in just a minute why. She's socially an outcast, and so she's not welcomed in the early morning water gathering time. And so she has to come at noon, and she thinks she's going to be by herself, but she's not by herself. In fact, Jesus, who has taken a break, rested, getting a drink of water, is at the well, and he has this encounter with this woman that is really, really incredible. Now, just to reemphasize, the fact that there's a Jewish rabbi, male, Jewish, and he's also a rabbi, talking to a Samaritan woman is, is really kind of radical. It's very countercultural. Okay? So here's the setting. Look in verse 7. I'm going to kind of read it and tell you a couple things about it. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan said to, said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Do you see that? I mean, he, she's like, well, you shouldn't, I know culturally you should not be talking to me. But you're going to ask me for a drink. In fact, for him, Jesus, a Jew, to drink out of this Samaritan woman's um, bowl was, was an unclean thing in Jewish custom. Okay? So she says, wait, how, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus says, has gotten to this place and he's kind of like, feels like the Father has some purpose for him in the life of this Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now hear this, this phrase living water and what we begin to see that when he's talking about living water, he's not talking about the water from the well, he's talking about the living water of eternal life, salvation. In verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. So he says to her, hey, uh, give me a drink of water. And she says, what? You shouldn't be asking me for a drink of water. And then he says, you know what? If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink of water. And she says, well, you don't even have anything to draw water with. So she's like out and like clueless that Jesus is dropping like these Jesus, hashtag Jesus juke bombs on her. I mean, she's, he's doing something here. And she says, well, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank it from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. In other words, you have come here to get a type of water that you're going to have to come keep getting, 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 because it's never going to really quench your thirst. But I have come here with a living water that if you drink it will quench your thirst eternally. It says in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him and never be thirsty again, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here again. And the encounter continues. 
Jesus says to her, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, well, I know because you've been married five times and you're living with a man you're not married to. And this woman is stunned because what she thinks he's saying, which is he has some kind of special water that will keep her from having to get this stagnant well water over and over. What he's saying to her, no, I have a kind of water that can only come from the kind of person that represents the father. She thinks he's a prophet. Whenever he tells something, her something about herself that could only be known by a prophet or somebody that's really sent from God, she gets very excited. She's stunned. She goes into town and she tells people. Eventually the disciples return, the woman leaves. Or the woman leaves and the disciples return. This story is a beautiful example of the Christian gospel. And what we see in this part of this story, which there's more to it, but for our purpose, in this part of this story is that God makes a living water available to all people. And Jesus is one who lived an unhurried life, and the Father used him to impact someone's eternity. This living water that Jesus talks about come from the Father. And we ought to talk just for a moment about the living water, because I would ask you, have you received the living water that Jesus makes available? Many of you, the kind of water, so to speak, that you're living on is the kind of water that leaves you wanting. It leaves you continually thirsty. But what Jesus is saying is like, hey, I have a living water. And what's radical about this passage is that Jesus, an unhurried man, offers to this Samaritan woman a living water, although they were different ethnically. She was a social outcast, but Jesus offered her a living water. She was guilty of ongoing sexual sin, but Jesus offered her living water. He had a conversation with her. He took time with her, offering her living water. He risked the criticism of people, his disciples, for having talked to a woman. He offers her living water. Do you know that the will of the Father is that all of you drink of the living water that he provides? You cannot quench your deep thirst for the connection with God. No, only God can quench that deep thirst within you, and it is through Jesus. So before I move this into helping you think about how you lived an unhurried life, a question I have for you is, have you drunk the living water of salvation that Jesus offers to all people? Some of you are lapping up what the world has to offer. And the reason your heart is so hurried is because that you have to speedily lap up the water that the world offers and you're still thirsty. So you're moving from this to this to this to this and you're doing this, this, this and you're obsessing over what the world has to offer you because you think it's going to meet your deepest needs. But what I would say to you is that the only way that your deepest needs are going to be met is through Jesus. And the simplicity of this passage and many encounters between Jesus and people, and that's what I'll look at in my series when I go through the Gospel of Mark here in a few weeks, is the simple way in which Jesus says to her, you, I'm offering you the gift of eternal life, living water. It doesn't have to be complicated. And so maybe you're like, you know what, I have been 
lapping up what the world has to offer. And I am still thirsty. And I would say to you, you can continue to do that. And you're running around frantically trying to have your deepest needs for peace with God met or a sense of purpose met. Or you can accept the living water that Jesus offers. That's called salvation. It's called becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Christ. And some of you are like right up to that line of faith and you're kind of looking over at like what it looks like to become a Christian. And what you need to do is take a step of faith and say, you know what, God, I recognize that I am a sinner separated from you because of my sin. Please forgive my sin. I accept the eternal life, the living water that Jesus provides. That, that's, what, that's called, according to the Bible, being born again. And then you get this journey of getting to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and talk about Jesus and talk with other people about who Jesus is. And he begins to work on you and shape you and help you to live an unhurried life. So I just want to get you to think here as we've looked at Jesus and how his unhurried life has had an impact on this woman. I want for you to think about this reality that he lived an unhurried life. For instance, we notice in this story that Jesus didn't hurry to the cross. You know, some of you, the reason your hearts and your minds are so hurried is because you want to get right to your purpose, get to your ultimate purpose, get to your biggest goal. And what God is saying is, no, what I want to do instead of like Jesus was in Judea and his ultimate purpose was the cross. But what God wanted to do with Jesus, the father wanted to do with Jesus is like, I want to do some stuff in you and through you. So I'm going to take you all the way to Galilee and it's going to take you through Samaria. I mean, if Jesus had hurried to the cross, then he would not have had the impact on the people along the way. Do you get that? He played his role in God's redemptive plan. Sometimes I'm like that. Sometimes, you know, I just want to get to right where we're going. God, get, get us to a building. Get us, get us to five churches. Get us, get us, you know, get us. And God said, no, no, no. What I want you to do is I want to take you from where you are uh, the long way. I want to take you the long way. Because there's something I want to do in you and there's something I want to do through you. And many of us are hurrying and panicked and fretting because we want that kind of ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal. What, and whatever relationship or maybe it's a vocational kind of uh, goal or decision. And God's saying, uh, don't, miss, don't miss it. Don't miss, don't miss the journey. A hurried life rushes past the purpose God has for our lives. And a hurried life gets things done, but oftentimes it's the wrong things. So Jesus didn't hurry to the cross. He played his part in God's redemptive plan, which required that he patiently go from town to town talking to people. Are you hurried? Do you feel hurried? Like, I, I got to get there. Got to get there with my business. I got to get there with a relationship. And God may be just saying, just like, slow down. It's going to be a while. Jesus did not hurry through Samaria. And he could have, right? He's a Jew. Jews don't like Samaritans. He didn't hurry through Samaria. It's dangerous there. Maybe his disciples would have said, hey, let's don't hang out here. Let's just keep moving a little bit further because, you know, we're Jews and you've become popular and these, you know, crooks may come try to hurt us. And, but Jesus didn't hurry. Why didn't he hurry? Because he needs some rest. I think this is so, makes him, reveals that Jesus is so real. It says he's tired and he's thirsty So he goes to this well to get some water. Jesus is not hurried. 
You know, a hurried life prevents us from resting physically when we need it. Some of you just need to rest. Your heart is so hurried and your mind is so hurried that physically you're wringing yourself out and you are on the way to being in the doctor of a cardiologist wearing out some chair. There's a book called Adrenaline and Stress. A doctor named Archibald Hart supports the idea from some research that he's done. He says this. He says, people in a hurry don't allow time for their complex bodies and minds to become revitalized. Some of you are so hurried that you're not listening to your bodies, which is a very spiritual thing, by the way. And you're exhausted. I mean, if Jesus needed to rest... And this isn't the only place that we see that Jesus took a pause and rested. We see it throughout the Gospels. Jesus went away for a time to rest. Things got busy. Jesus got his disciples and removed them and said, let's go over here and rest for a while. Some of you, you're so hurried, you're ignoring what your body is telling you need to do in regards to rest. An unhurried life understands what it means to rest. Uh, Just one more observation about Jesus as an unhurried Savior. He didn't hurry away from the Samaritan woman or from the well when she approached the... He didn't hurry away from the well whenever the Samaritan woman approached. And I dare say this is what every other busy rabbi would have done. Here comes this woman. I mean, in this time, women were marginalized. They, They were not valued as being having a worth that was equal to men and so this any other rabbi would say oh here comes a Samaritan woman she's coming at noon there are problems you know what no thank you I'm out here I got things to do I'm on my way to Galilee but Jesus was unhurried enough to know that father wanted to use him in the life of this woman Some of you are so hurried that you can't even notice the people in your lives that God wants you to connect deeply with. This Messiah was quite busy, but instead of just continuing with his busy schedule and getting on to Galilee, he stops and he gives attention to this person. And this moment is incredibly complex. I tried to paint the picture for you, but it's incredibly complex for him to be talking to her. And he had every reason, even after he began talking to her and he's trying to explain to her this idea of like living water and she was just not getting it, you know, like, what? (laughs) He had every reason to be rushed and hurried in that conversation and being just like, would you just take it or, you know, leave it, you know, loose woman? (laughs) But instead he paused and he slowed down. And, and... What it makes me think of for you and for me is that a hurried life disables our ability to really love others. Because, you know, the speed of genuine love is very, very slow. And love, the cultivation of love at varying levels. I mean, you're not going to love the person you see at the checkout in the same way that you are, can love your spouse. 
John Ortberg in one of the books that is one of my favorite books ever. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted. Says these words about this issue. And he says, The most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. And some of you feel very isolated from your spouse, from your best friends, from your family. And it may, in fact, be your fault because you're so hurried. There's no time for the love that's required for genuine connection to be developed and to be grown. This is something that really hits home in my heart. You know, like many of you, I'm busy. I've got responsibilities at work. I've got four children. We live in a fast-paced city. I've got friends. One of the things that my wife and I discovered in our process of taking a break and rest and recalibrating is that, or I discovered is for my own life, is that I'd gotten so hurried that it impacted my ability to slow down and connect deeply with her. And we weren't on the verge of divorce. She wasn't going to leave me. I hope, you know, I certainly wasn't going to leave her because I'm not stupid. But we've just gotten going so fast. And for me, I'd gotten going so fast in my heart and my mind. It was like she was over there and I'm over here. It's a problem. We weren't connecting. We weren't connecting with anybody. And an even greater cost when we have hurried hearts and hurried minds in terms of connection is with the Heavenly Father. Some of you are like me in that there are times when you get sit down and go, okay, God, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. And you open up the Scripture and you're thinking about a hundred different things. It's so hard for you to focus on the most important thing. Do you live a hurried life? Is your heart fretting? And again, you say, no, no, you don't understand. I got a lot of things going on. I got a lot of responsibility. I got bills to pay. I got dreams to achieve, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And you can keep using that as an excuse. Or you can admit that you live a hurried life you can see Jesus as one who had every reason in the world to justify a hurried life, yet he had an unhurried life enough to be used by God to impact someone's eternity and ultimately impact the entire world by laying his life down on a cross. You can admit to it. We have a hurried life. So this weekend at the men's retreat, this is the thing that we focused in on on Friday. And I asked the guys, I said, when's the last time you heard from God? When's the last time you were in the presence of God? And many of us are so hurried that it's been a long time, maybe never, that we've actually heard from God as we've studied the scriptures or felt like we were in the presence of God. I don't want to live another day without being able to be confident that I am hearing from God and being in the presence of God. And what it requires is that we say, you know what? I live a hurried life and I got to do something about it. I'm about to, and you say, well, what do I do? Okay, I made the case. What do I do? Well, here's, here's what you do. You practice slowing down. You practice slowing down. 
It's helpful if you're in the context or you have relationships with other people who care about living an unhurried life so that you can experience all that God has for you in this life, be impacting other people's lives because you have an unhurried life and all that kind of stuff. It's helpful if you're connected in the life of the church. So even as I tell you this, and I'm telling you, you must practice slowing down. If you're thinking, okay, I got to go do this on my own, what I'm saying to you is like, you don't have to. You, the church, like we together, let's all practice slowing down. We can help each other. If you practice slowing down, I'll practice slowing down. It'll make it easier for both of us to practice slowing down. You say, what do, what do you mean by practice slowing down? Well, the practice of slowing down involves cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we have to wait. Some of you are so uncomfortable right now. Because when I say that you would deliberately choose to put yourself in a position where you simply have to wait, you're freaking out. The way that you practice slowing down is when you're driving, you drive in the slow lane. You eat slowly. Man, I realized, and even still some I do, I will sit down and eat and be done, and I, I can't even remember what it tastes like. Any of you like that? I mean, some of it is because we have six people sitting down to eat, and you better eat yours than somebody else is going to, you know? Put yourself in a position where you're deliberately slowing down, and there will always be that voice that says, You better hurry. You got things to do. You better hurry. Come on. Keep moving. Keep going. Don't miss out. Practice slowing down. Get in the longest line at the grocery store. Leave your watch at home for a day. One of the things that I ask the guys to do is to separate themselves for their phone, from their phones at the retreat. And uh, some did, some didn't. Separate yourself for periods of time from things that hurry up your heart and your mind. Something that I've had to do is to remove from my phone some apps that I found myself. I mean, I couldn't even go to the bathroom without looking at my phone and checking out what was going on on Facebook. You know, it's so weird. Like, what, a, what kind of world have we begun to live in that things are constantly speeding up our minds and our hearts, the information? Slow down. Choose a couple of times a day to figure out what's going on in the news and what's going on in sports and do that and don't... Don't feel like you have to know exactly what's going on, when it's going on. You have to be updated. If your phone is always like, do-do-do, do-do-do, and always getting ESPN updates at all times of the day, then maybe you have a hurried heart. Maybe you have a hurried mind. And you say, well, I can handle it. It's no big deal. But what I'm saying to you is there is a cost. The cost is connection with people. The cost is connection with the Father. The cost is you're going to miss out on the very things that God puts in your life that you ought to be able to enjoy. When you hurry through a meal, it makes it very difficult to enjoy it. Slow down. Sit quietly at the end of the workday. Go home. Sit quietly. Don't flip on the TV. Don't get on your phone. 
If you have children, maybe after they go to bed, rather than just turning on Netflix, just sit quietly and be present. You say, Russell, you don't know what it's like for me. I'm so busy that when I put my kids down at night, I got to then get on my computer. What I would say is like, I don't think you probably have to as much as you think you have to. Slow down. You're not in charge. Say, what do I do? I have a hurried heart. I have a hurried mind. I would say it's going to be a long process for all of us. But if we do it together, if we practice slowing down, I think God will begin to move in our hearts and our lives so that we can notice those that God brings to the well. And we can have the words to say, to be present with them, and offer to people the living water that we ourselves have experienced from and by Jesus. How about you? Do you have a hurried heart? Do you have a hurried mind? You want to influence in your life. What I would say to you is that to influence, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Let's pray about and think on these things. So maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I want that living water that Jesus offers. What I would say to you is that in the stillness of this moment, tell God that. Begin that journey. And then let one of us know and we can help you begin to discover who God is and what it means to be saved. For most of you, when I say, do you live a hurried life, or do you have a hurried heart, hurried mind, you'd say yes. I know that's true. I was less confident before the men's retreat, but based on what I heard from the men at the men's retreat, what I realized is this true for most of us. Maybe in this moment, what you can do is just say, God, would you slow down my heart? slow down my mind help me to slow down my life you know the gospel says that you can't be like Jesus just because Jesus did something In fact, it's the work of Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless life that enables us to go to God and go, God, I can't be like Jesus. I need for you to do something in me that I can't do for myself. Slow down my heart. Slow down my mind. So I feel like God's Spirit is working on many of you, and I just want to let that continue to happen. As you're reflecting and thinking, Lauren is going to sing a song over you. This is not a song you're going to sing with. She's going to sing a song over you. So I just pray that in whatever way makes sense to you, if it's listening to the music or continuing in prayer, you'll just respond.